1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, there was just, I covered a decent amount last Wednesday, but there was a lot, there was a lot I didn't get to cover. And so one of the privileges of being a pastor, we get to come back and hit the same passage again. We get to deal with it uh, um, more. And so 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're going to pick it up in verse number 6. Uh, so we know some of the context. They come to Ziklag. Uh, everything's been burned. Actually, verse number four, then David and the people which were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinahim, Ahinahim the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Um, has the idea they were they, their grief was turning to bitterness. Their grief was beginning to turn to anger. There was grief that was beginning to boil over in them, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Elimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod and Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them, and he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went. He and six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where um, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of raisins and two cluster, uh, figs and two clusters of raisins, excuse me. And uh, when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? Whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left before me because... Three days ago, agone, I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company." And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled." And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that had been taken to them. David recovered all. The title tonight is 
Ashes to victory, God's recovery plan. Ashes to victory, God's recovery plan. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us tonight to uh, consider your word, to receive help, to receive um, encouragement from it. And most importantly, that we would see you and get encouragement from you, Lord, and know you better. Pray for you to bless the service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A number of my relatives on both my dad's side and my mom's side, if we go back a couple generations to my great-grandparents, to my great-grandparents uh, really, uh, great or um, grandparents, um, they were coal miners in Pennsylvania and West Virginia. On my mom's side, um, her dad was one of the younger, but um, her older um, uncles, so my great uncles, many of them were coal miners there in uh, what they called Tunnelton, West Virginia, in, in that area. Um, my dad's grandpa and many of his brothers were coal miners there in the coal mines of, of Pennsylvania. And a great fear, one of the great fears of the coal miner was caving. One of the great fears of the coal mine was the cave-in where the earth would begin to shift and timbers that were massive that would have held, uh, that could hold great amounts of weight as things begin, sh- begin to shift there in the mountain, they would hear a rumbling and great timbers and everything would literally snap, everything would give way, and um, if you were lucky, you wouldn't be where the cave-in actually happened. My my, grand, my dad's grandpa, my great-grandpa one time was trapped in, a, in the mine for three days while they were waiting uh, for help to come and rescue them because uh, the cave-in had cut them, off, uh, cut them off from the entrance. My great-uncle, uh, my grandpa, who's preached here, his older brother actually died in a cave-in in the mines there in, in West Virginia. And it's, it was something that, that was feared when it just, when everything literally gave way. When there was, uh, there was no withstanding it. Um, uh, there was the country song, something about Big John or something that he uh, uh, held everything up. It's an old song, but that didn't work in real life, okay? Uh, there was, when that amount of earth began to move, there was nothing that could stop it and everything came caving in. I'm not trying to make light of it, but sometimes life can be there. That's where David was. It it, it wasn't that thing, he was just having a bad day. It wasn't that things could just be a little better, there was just some frustrations. No, David's entire life had come crashing down around him. Uh, um, He stares into the smoke and the ashes of his plans, of his family, of everything he owns. Now, if we know David had chosen Ziklag because it seemed more expedient. It seemed the safer choice at the time. And uh, he had gone there without considering God's will. He had gone there in his own wisdom. And for a while it seemed to work out good. And, but David and his men began taking on some of the influence of the land. They began acting more like Philistines than they did like the people of God. And as David was walking outside of God's wisdom, he was outside of the protection that God's wisdom offers. Okay? Let me explain, let me illustrate it this way. 
Every time you speed excessively, you don't get pulled over. Every time you speed excessively, you don't get in a car accident. Right? There's times that you can do that and you can get away with it. There are times you can do that and it doesn't seem to be any consequences. But if you continue to do that, you're operating outside the bounds of the protection that the law is supposed to be. And so there's times you can live outside of God's wisdom and it seems like there isn't any consequences. It seems like everything's going okay, but there's going to be... It's only a matter of time until the consequences catch up with you. It's only a matter of time. Uh, There's a reason the posted speed limit is that. There's a reason that God says, don't go there. Don't participate in that. Don't uh, stay with me. Trust me. Because when we step out of sight of that, it's not that God says, okay, you're going to get it. It's that we step out of sight of the protection that God has given us. That's what happened to David and his men. They returned home to find everything they loved, everything they held dear, gone. Their homes were ashes. Their families were taken as slaves. Every possession they had, except what they carried with them at that moment, had been stolen. Everything was gone. These battle-tested warriors and David break under the strain of this, and they just, the Bible says they wept until they had no more power to weep. Uh, this was not a pretty sight. This was, this was something that uh, would just be um, grating to every part of you as grown warrior men are literally screaming and throwing dirt in the air and just sobbing uncontrollably to the, for hours. Because it's to the point to where they had no more power to weep. Literally, they have no voice left. They have no strength left. They're just laying on the ground covered in the mud created by their own tears as there is nothing left there. They're in total shock. The tears are flowing. They had endured so much. And this was the final straw of the final straw. Okay, one man said it this way, here's a sobering and disturbing picture for God's people. Are there not times when you think it cannot get any worse? 1 Samuel 30 says, yes it can. It can get worse. There are times when you conclude that, you, uh, that your present trouble is the last straw. You simply can talk, cannot take any more. Then comes Ziklag, the last straw after the last straw. Sometimes you are tempted, he said this, sometimes you are tempted to add another line to Psalm 30, verse number 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning, and disaster strikes next, next afternoon. Right? That, okay, weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning, and disaster strikes the next afternoon. Does not that appear sometimes how life works? That just when there's light, just when there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel... Boom! There's another cave-in. Everything comes down. But as they're dealing with the shock of this, the, David's men begin to turn bitter. Their, their grief now begins to turn to anger. Uh, the idea of grieve is to uh, be sorrowful, but to be bitterly sorrowful. To, it has, it's from the root word to taste bitter. And so it, they got over the shock of it, and now there is the... Um, Ajita, there is the turmoil that is beginning to just churn in them and they begin looking at David and they be going, this is your fault. As we've been going through in Sunday school, the teabag contents are coming out 
and it's not pretty. Uh, the, 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 the hearts of these men are revealed as they're not as spiritual as they thought they were. No doubt, David's pain and devastation was increased because he knew he was at least partly responsible for this disaster. It wasn't that he had caused that, but he knew if they hadn't been in Ziklag, this wouldn't have happened. If maybe he had sought God's will, um, if, if he hadn't been there, then maybe this protection had helped, uh, would, wouldn't have happened. And David has fallen down. And at this point, it seems like he's not going to get up. His own men are speaking about stoning him. The mighty men who have walked with him through all of the hardships are now turning on him at this point. We would say everything is coming crashing down. God has never promised that following him is going to be easy, painless, or fun. In fact, God promised the exact opposite. One man put, God gave no false advertising. He didn't, he didn't put in his word, um, it's going to be joy, and then footnoted at the bottom, there's going to be suffering too. No, he put it plain, black and, right, uh, black and white. He didn't shrink the font on the parts about suffering. God has told us what it's going to be like. And we can, God is honest. God is trustworthy. Everything he has said, we can hold on to it, whether it's uh, enjoyable, whether it's not. What God says is going to come to pass. But sometimes it can seem there's wave upon wave that crashes against us. And each one of us have been guilty of saying, this is too much. This is too much. Now, I want to remind us, telling God is too much is doubting the goodness of God. Telling God, I, sh I don't deserve this. Telling God, you are allowing too much stress on me at this time is telling God, you're not in control. Is everybody following me? It's telling God, uh, you're not being good at this point. Which is not considering the goodness of God. Which is, it's, which is actually blaspheming the character of God. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that there isn't times where maybe we feel that way. But we have to start here, and we're going to get there in just a second. But God is still good. God is still God. But it does seem to stack up. It's not always that situation itself. It's everything that's leading up that you've already dealt with. And then it's that one on top of it that is the cherry on top that brings everything tumbling down. And what makes matters worse is sometimes we realize... I didn't have to be in this situation. I got here because I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I got here because I wasn't doing right. I got here because I wasn't listening to good counsel. If you're there, like David, you're not alone. Peter sank when he walked on the water because he got his eyes off Jesus. Peter denied the Lord three times. Abraham lied to Pharaoh. Abraham had Ishmael with Hagar. Abraham lied to Elimelech, the king of... And we can go on and on and on. God records the good things and the failings of His people. But in the moment where everything begins caving in, where everything is crashing around us, there seems to be no way out of this when our mind begins going, where's God now? How, how, how are we going to deal with this one? 
Okay, it's been okay before, but can I tell you this? Just because your world has caved in doesn't mean that God is done with you. If you're still breathing, God still has a plan for your life. Uh, the only time God is done with one of his children is when you're in his presence. And by the way, God's going to still use your life in heaven in the ages to come to show his grace and to demonstrate his goodness. God is not done with us. That's why the Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked fall into mischief. Psalm 37, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David is there, he's been cast down, he's fallen down, his, his world is crashing in, and we, could be, we need to ask this question, how is there a way forward? Okay, he's looking at the ashes of everything that he's hold dear, held dear. His family's gone. His, uh, he can't get help from anywhere. His own men are speaking of stoning him. What can we learn from a man after God's own heart? even when he's flat on his face. Number one, when David's world caved in, verse number six, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. We need to notice this, it was his God. David knew the creator God. David had walked with God, and he knew this, the destruction of Ziklag had not changed God. It had not changed God's character. It had not changed God's plans. But also this, David's failings had not changed God's character. David's failings had not changed his relationship with God. It can, our sin can affect our fellowship with God. If we are one of God's children, if we are continuing in our rebellious way, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But... It does not change our relationship. There were times that I was in trouble with my dad. There were times I was not very obedient. But I never worried about my dad disowning me. I never worried about my dad saying, you're not my son anymore. And uh, one of the greatest troops, truths that can help us is that God loves us unconditionally. Okay? We cannot do anything to deserve his love. We cannot do anything to earn his love. God cannot love you more than he loves you right now. God cannot love you less than he loves you right now. Think about that. God cannot love you more than he loves you right now. God cannot love you less than he loves you right now because he loves you unconditionally. That is part of what encouraging himself in the Lord his God is talking about. It's not something where David started going, uh, uh, let's get, the, he, he remembered his God. He turned his thinking and his eyes from the ashes to the person of God. David didn't need a break from his circumstances. He needed to spend some time with God. Okay, He didn't need a change in his circumstances. He needed to spend some time with God. David did not need a psychotherapist. Okay, uh, The psychologists of this world are going to tell you every, how everything else is someone else's fault. Okay, uh, The Bible tells you uh, we have a problem with sin and we, the answer is God. And that's the help that mankind needs. David needed supernatural strength to take the next step. He didn't need uh, one of his men to come and give him a big hug and say, it's going to be okay. No, he needed to know the truth of God. He needed to know the person of God. As he began dwelling on God, 
He found strength in the person and the promises of God. He encouraged himself. The idea of encouraged is not cheer up. The idea of encouraged is to strengthen. The idea of encourage is to fortify, to repair. Okay, so we're going to go back to the illustration of the mine. Uh, there's, uh, things are uh, uh, caving in. There's a, a restructuring. There's a re-putting up of the timbers. There's a, a fortifying of what is weak. There's a, uh, a strengthening of what is there. But David had to do this himself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. God's grace is there, but we have to avail ourselves of that grace. God's not going to send an angel to hit you over the head to say, come on, uh, God is here and encourage you. No, God's promises haven't changed, so we have to go and grab back onto God's promises and encourage our hold on to that. David didn't have a pastor to help him. His men were trying to stone him. Even Abiathar the priest is silent at this point. And David encourages himself in the living God. Where else was David going to turn? His men were speaking of stoning him. Israel was under Saul. And his good friends, the Philistines, were off fighting his own people, Israel. Where really else is David going to turn? But he turned to the one place he needed to. He turned to God. He encouraged himself in the Lord. In the book, Changed Into His Image, uh, Mr. Berg said this. Uh, a statement around their house is, I'll be all right once I talk myself back into reality. Right? Uh, last week we dealt with getting in, uh, getting in touch with reality, that God is still on the throne. And the real world is understanding that God is on the throne. And really that's what David is doing here. He's talking himself back into reality. Wait a second. Yes, it seems that everything is gone, but God is still the same. And let's get, let's get a reality check here. Who is still on the throne? Who is still loving me? Who still cares about me? Who still hears me? There is still God. It cleared David's thinking. It stilled his heart and allowed him to make some much-needed decisions. It wasn't that encouraging himself in the Lord was the end. That was the beginning. Okay, David could not begin pursuing the Amalekites. David could not begin uh, doing that until he started with, I need to remember that God is and that God is good. By the way, that's the beginning of faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. For without faith it is impossible to please God. So David starts here. Wait a second. God, you're still on the throne. You still have power in this situation. It's hopeless to me. I don't even know who came. We know the Amalekites came. David didn't know at this point. That's why he prays to God in just a second. Shall I pursue this troop? David didn't even know which direction to go. David didn't know who, uh, who had even come and doing that, uh, had attacked the city. But because David was trusting the Lord again now, he encouraged himself in the Lord first, and now because he remembers the promises and the goodness of God, now he's ready to obey God. It's really hard to obey God when you're not trusting God. Right? When, when, when you're not trusting God, when you're not believing in God's goodness, it's really hard to obey God. It's really hard to pray because you're doubting God. 
But when we start with encouraging ourselves and remembering who God is, then the next step, the Bible says David inquired. Right? Verse number 8, And David inquired of the Lord. He used the means that God had provided for him to seek God's face for clear direction. He called Abiathar the priest. He called the ephod. We went over that last week. We don't have Abiathar. We don't have an ephod. But we do have the great high priest. We do have access to the throne of grace. And David began to seek God. God, what would you have me to do? David had some ideas. I know what I want to do. I want to get those people, but I don't have any idea how to do it. I don't have any. And here's what David did. Lord, you're still God. What do you want me to do? Shall, he goes, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall, shall I overtake them? He has, he has a plan, but he's checking this with God first. And God gives David a command and a promises. God says, pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And I like doing the word studies and uh, doing this. Surely overtake is the perfect translation of that. Here's what it means. You're going to absolutely do this. And in the Hebrew, it's actually overtake, overtake. We don't speak that way in English. That's why they translated it. Surely overtake gives the promise. But here's when the Hebrew doubles the word like that, it gives finality. It gives completeness to that. It says you're going to absolutely, all part of overtake, you're going to completely, surely overtake them. And you're going to recover, recover. You're going to recover all. You're going to completely every part of it. God gave David a command, and God gave David some promises. Now it was up to David what he was going to do. Right? David encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. By the way, living faith in God will always demonstrate itself in concrete actions. Living faith always, de uh, always demonstrates itself in concrete actions. Strengthening, encouraging yourself in the Lord will lead you to seeking God's direction. And if you seek God's direction in faith, that's going to lead you to obeying God's direction. If you're having problems obeying God, it's a faith problem. If you're having problems trusting God, it's a faith problem. Because faith leads to biblical actions. So as David's men are uh, debating who's going to throw the first stone, David comes up to them and goes, get your swords on, men. We got command from God. We're going to go. I, th I think that helped calm uh, the spirit that was there. It, it gave some men with busy minds something to do with their hands. And so they, they got their uh, group together and they began pressing on until they came to the, group, uh, to the brook Bezor. And a little bit of study about that, it was a, uh, what they call a wadi there in the land of Israel, but it was, uh, uh, it, it was a creek, a small creek, but it was a deep, uh, we would say cat, chasm, or there was deep incline, deep incline, up, uh, steep incline up the other side. It would have been very uh, treacherous terrain to, to traverse there. And so as David gets started, a full third of his men, he's got 600 men, they get to the uh, book, Brook Bezor, and I'm going to twist that up four or five times tonight. But they get there, and 200 of the men just go, David, we can't make it. I mean, and it's not because they don't want to. These are the mighty men. Like, they're staggering. They're more in danger to themselves than they, than they are able to help David. David says, stay here, rest up, get some water, get some sleep. 
But David kept pursuing. He had God's command, pursue. And he said, isn't it crazy when you try to obey God, you take the first step and that's when something goes wrong? Right? You try, to take, uh, you try to take that first step and you do this and then that happens and then that happens and here's our temptation. Just must, just not, must not be God's will this time. Oh, we just... We can, if we're looking for an excuse, it's there. Satan will always give us an excuse not to obey God. But David pursued... And as David and his men are pursuing, they're pursuing after a troop. They don't know who they're pursuing. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where to find these people. They're just obeying God's command. If we pursue, we're going to overtake them and we're going to recover all. How that's going to happen, David? God said pursue. So we're going. And as they're pursuing, it just so happened that they met an Egyptian, they found an Egyptian who'd been there for three days and three nights, sick and without food and water. So it wasn't like he was standing in the field waving a flag. Hey, come help me. One of David's men might have tripped over him in the bushes. Right? Um, we would say this, men searching across the field looking for signs, just finding someone there, that's... He's probably not making any noise by the condition he's in. They had to make him drink water. If they have to make somebody drink water, I mean, we're in a serious dehydration, in a on the edge of teetering on the edge of life and death state right here. So they found this Egyptian who had the exact information they needed. I want to challenge you. David would have never found the Egyptian if David had not pursued in obedience to God's command. You see, God's hand, uh, God's blessings, God at work, isn't just a neat story. It's essential. David would have never found the Amalekite camp without the Egyptian, but it was David's obedience to God. He's saying, I don't, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but this is what you've said. I'm going to obey you. And they ran right into the Egyptian. They took the time. By the way, David is not acting like a Philistine now. He's acting like a person of God. He's showing mercy. He's showing grace to someone. And uh, they find out he's from the Amalekite camp who had raided Ziklag. This man admits it. How many think of David? some of David's men wanted to do in the Egyptian right there and then? Uh, but he, uh, they provide the help that David needed, without the help of this miracle, David and his men wouldn't have even found them. In that area of the world, there's so many uh, draws, there's so many valleys that you could look over from a distance and you would never know that any, you could have a whole army down in this valley, you have never, never know that they were there. They're, they're, uh, because of the, the terrain and that, um, you'd have to search every single crevice in every single area. Just ask Saul looking for David. Right? Uh, and so uh, they're uh, looking for this, and the Egyptian knew their hideout. He knew exactly where they were. And so in, in obedience, verse number 10, David pursued. He did that. They came down, and they, verse, um, verse number 17, and David smote them. Okay? David inquired of the Lord. He, he, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He pursued. And then when it came time for the battle, 
David fought. He was obedient. He started at twilight, and they fought till the evening of the next day. And there were 400 of them that escaped on camels. That was the minority group. That was the very... David only had 400 guys. I mean, David is way outnumbered here. But they come upon them while they were eating and drinking and celebrating their great victory. But David didn't just get his family. He fought the battle for every one of his men's families. He fought the battle for their possessions, even for those who had been too weak to come in the battle. He didn't say forget about those guys. No, he fought the battle till it was over. Um, one man pointed out, so completely were the Amalekites um, defeated by David's uh, efforts. They're not even mentioned again in the Bible as an opponent of Israel until the time of Hezekiah, 13 generations later. He, he did, he uh, diminished their population that much in this battle. There was almost nobody left. He, it was a complete victory. When God said, you shall overtake them, overtake them, recover all, God meant what he said. And once the battle was over, David and his men found they had recovered all their families. They recovered all their possessions. But it wasn't David's might that had done it. Okay? David completing this was only possible through the supernatural intervention and the help of God. It was not David's tracking ability, but it was a servant left for dead that led David right into the heart of their camp. David and his men arrived at the, heart, at the height of their drunken party when their guard was down, when they were too inebriated to um, um, offer any sort of resistance. That's God's protection right there. That's God's aid once again. David recovered all. But though the battle was over, the problems weren't. David, we did not read these, I'd encourage, just for time's sake, I'd encourage you to read some of the uh, rest of the chapter afterwards. They get all the stuff together and there's a bunch more spoil than David. There was a bunch more plunder than uh, David, than had even been taken from Ziklag because they raided a bunch of other cities that were there. And David gets it all together and they begin the, the trip back to Ziklag and they meet the 200 men there that had been left by the brook Abizor and some of David's own men. And remember, they started out as everyone that was distressed and indebted, and some of them were still hard cases. And they go, let them take their wives and their kids, and that's all they get. They were quitters. They don't get anything. Look at everything, and they, they say this. Here, verse number 22. Then answered all the wicked men, men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that, read the next word with me, we have recovered. Saved every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, verse number 23, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. David wanted to make sure that everyone remembered it was God that gave them the victory. David wasn't here going, we got them back, guys. Just trust me and follow me. He was saying, no, no, no. Don't you start counting as yours what was given to you by God. 
Don't start counting the victory as something you have recovered when it was God who did that. And David didn't allow the selfish motives of others to seep into God's victory and to steal that. David was gracious. You know what's going to help you be gracious more than anything? Knowing that everything you have came from God. That everything belongs to God. And say, like, oh, the Lord gave this to me. It's not mine to do with what I want. I'm going to honor the Lord. Hey, hey, it's, God gave this to you. Get your hands off it. It was theirs. Give it back to whom they were. And David then took of the extra spoil, that they, the extra plunder that they had gotten from the other towns, and he sent gifts to all the places that he had been hiding before. And he sent gifts to the towns near Hebron and dif- different to the cities, saying, uh, this is from the Lord's enemies. And uh, uh, he was establishing himself. I've been fighting the Lord's enemies. And he was uh, trying to reestablish his cr- uh, credentials saying, I haven't been serving with the Philistines. I've been fighting the Lord's enemies. And so he sent that back to them. He sought to be a blessing to those who had blessed him in the past. You see, David moved forward and found victory from the ashes and the bitterness of Ziklag by renewing his trust in God and by seeking and following God's commands with persistence and humility. He followed God's commands with persistence and humility. We need to find strength in God's character. We need to find direction in God's word. And we need to find God's victory in obedience. We need to find strength in God's character. Find direction from God's word. And we'll find victory, God's victory, in obedience. As long as we're in this life and in this world, there's going to be problems. There's going to be times even when the problems are a result of us falling flat on our faces. The just man follows seven times and rises up again. And we've asked the question before, how many of us have sinned this week? Every hand in the auditorium goes up, and if it doesn't, you just added to the sins that you had. Um, There's going to be times when it feels like your world is caving in, when those you trusted in the most are betraying you when there's situations that are just completely out of your control. Find strength in God's character. Find direction from God's word. And find God's victory in obedience. See, having a heart after God's heart is what's going to keep you going when nothing else can. It wasn't David's steel courage that got him up. It wasn't David's great leadership that led him forward. It wasn't his warrior abilities that gave him the victory. It was God. God, 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 all through this story. God will give direction when we ask Him. Okay, now, we may not get the precise answers to our question, but the Bible, God has promised if we seek His face, if we come to the throne, we're going to obtain grace. Through the throne of grace, we're going to find help in time of need. We may not get the exact answers, but we're going to get what we need more than answers. We're going to get grace. What is grace? It is the ability and the desire to do God's will today. It doesn't come from us. It's the ability and the desire to obey God's commands. It's grace. It's what comes from God. And when we simply obey God in that grace, we're going to see God do the miraculous. How did they find the Egyptian? He was obedient to God. 
How did they come upon the camp right when they were, had no guards up, when everything was open for attack? God. But they never would have had that story if they hadn't first sought God and then obeyed God. And then they experienced God's victory in obedience. Lastly, don't take credit for what God does. There's nothing that cuts, cuts us short from God's grace quicker than taking credit for what God does. We get, and it doesn't mean we have to be going around getting everyone's accolades or trying to get that, but saying, I could say, man, that was a pretty good sermon. Wait a second, wait a second. No, 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 it's God's word. It's God that, God that does the work. I, I, I worked so hard and that person came to church. Wait a second. Don't take credit for God's victory. I, I, this happened and this happened and we just made the right decision and everything worked. Wait a second. Don't take credit for God's victory. It's God's victory. Give Him the glory and the praise. Everything that we have belongs to Him. When we're facing, when we're facing things when it seems like the world is caving in, find strength in God's character. He hasn't changed. His promises are still good. It's not strength within ourselves, it's strength from Him that can reinforce what is crumbling all around us. Find direction in God's Word. What does the Bible say? That's a good question to ask yourself. When you're thinking, okay, well, what should I do in this situation? What does the Bible say? And I want to help, but the greatest help I can be is teach you to go to God Himself for the answers. Because God's going to give you the answers but they come from his word. Find direction from God's word and find God's victory in obedience. God had a recovery plan for David because God still had something he wanted to do with David. Yes, David fell down, but he rose up again because he found strength in God's, God's character. He found direction from God's word and he found God's victory when he obeyed. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we just thank you for who you are, Lord, that you know exactly where we are. You know what we're struggling with. Lord, that you have the ability and the grace to give us what we need in ways far above what we could even ask or think. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we pray that you would help someone struggling, just fighting with some fears. And we pray, Lord, that we would find strength, that we would obey and see you work great and mighty things that we could give you the glory for. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll take a moment. Begin to, uh, if you need to pray there at your seat, we'll just have a moment of silence. Let's do business in the Lord. Let's do some business with the Lord.